Hello and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the wonderfully nerdy things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick and I'm your host and I'm joined by my amazing co-hosts Tamar Herman. Hello. And SM Rosenberg. Hi. So today we have some very, we have a super famous and incredible celebrity author guest with us. Um, Tamar Herman is the author of BTS, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and we have an exclusive interview with her. Um, But until then, uh, we are going to obviously, well, okay, I I guess I should say, I'd like to start with uh, an explanation of where we've been for the past couple of months and um not here been... is there an explanation do we have a reason i, well, I forgot to prepare my excuse i don't no, have an excuse it, 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 i just we don't have an excuse all i want to say is it's been corona and thank god at the moment we're all in locations that are somewhat you know that are that are doing better we're recording this in august at the end of august but it definitely has my location is my bedroom which i have pretty much not <laughs> left in the past four months oh god um yeah but it's been it's been you know a challenging time and i think we just didn't have the the kayak as they say the the strength to record i know i didn't also um, michal didn't watch her movie that was assigned she still hasn't yes, it's my <laughs> oh, oh fine it's my fault that i didn't watch parasite yet okay <laughs> i mean honestly if it was anything else that i assigned you that was like a k-pop thing i would have been totally okay with it but parasite was like what so many oscars like, i know <laughs> like what are you doing like this isn't even a tomorrow thing this is like an everyone in the world watched it except me Shirk. and me and me to be fair but so, I the two of you we need a i was gonna say netflix party but it's on hulu we need a hulu party guys we need to watch parasite okay is, it is on hulu it's on hulu i think I might know somebody with access, so... All right, I'll all right. Enough, of this, enough of this guilt tripping. Uh, we will hopefully be back soon with our episode uh, exploring our challenges that we deliver to each other, some of which the implications of have changed drastically over the time that we've been away. <laughs> bon appetit. <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> we're going to start, as always. First of all, we hope you're all doing well and are handling the pandemic and all of its associated stresses well. If you have children, good luck. Um, and, uh... <laughs> there's, just, there's just nothing else to say. Just good luck. My sister said the other yeah. day that in her mommy groups, there is like a saying now that's like, Corona would be easier if you had one less child than you actually have. And it was just like, yeah, because you can always get like, if you have three if you have four you can get three okay and then there's the fourth one like causing trouble she has three so she's like if i just didn't have like one of them to keep my eye on i only have two eyes but three kids so she's like it's it's kind of fun to (laughs) see a joke that my mom loves of there's a woman gets on a bus and she's got 13 kids and behind her a woman gets on the bus and she's got 14 kids and they all you know swipe them all in one by one and they all shuffle to the back of the bus and get all situated and the kids are just scrambling all over everything as kids are wont to do and the one with 13 looks to the one with 14 and says i don't know how you do it (laughs) (laughs) and my mom related to that because She's like, we have seven in our family, but she's like, imagine if I had eight. (laughs) Yeah, that would just be just too much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay, so we are going to get started as is our want with our current obsessions. Sam, why don't you lead us off? Okay. I guess current, I guess we could say anything that we've been obsessed I mean, with. Anything that is in the past few months, which, well, but I have one that spans quite a bit of those few months because um, I was doing this movie cramming project, which people who follow me on Facebook may have seen, um, because we were supposed to switch streaming services. By we, I mean, I have an oligarchy of siblings who we collectively pay for our streaming service which was youtube tv that we paid for because they had the yankees and the yes network then got into a cat fight with youtube tv like there are very very petty tweets that are (laughs) that the yes network has tweeted it was kind of like 
Yeah, it was was very uh, messy divorce. And so they could not work out renewing their contract with the Yes Network at YouTube TV. And so we were trying to find a different streaming service that we could afford that would also include YouTube TV. And this was what three out of five of the people in the in the sibling oligarchy decided. I was not one of these people. I preferred to use YouTube TV just for the DVR function because it has unlimited d- digital DVR space, which meant that I could just DVR any movie that was available on any of the available channels and just have it in my library and watch it whenever. So I had collected um, like 300 to 400 movies, and then suddenly I was told that we were going to be switching in time for the baseball season, and that gave me at the time about one month to cram all of these movies in. And that's that was a lot of movies, and I was like, okay, I gotta buckle down. And I actually had a spreadsheet at the time, um, that I had sporadically updated with the contents of my DVR to keep myself a little bit organized about what I wanted to watch and what categories of movies I had and stuff like that. And so then I went through that and I color-coded it (laughs) with my higher priority movies and lower priority movies. Um, and then I started cramming all of the movies that I could. And then Corona hit because the baseball season was supposed to start, it starts typically at the end of March, beginning of April, and then Corona hit right in the middle of March, and everything shut down. So I got a new lease on my DVR, and we weren't going to be switching until the baseball season was going to be starting, but we didn't know when that was, so I was sort of cramming, but sort of not. And then the baseball season was finally announced, and it started, what, July 23rd? Something like that. And so that became my new deadline. And then I started just like mainlining all of these movies. And by the end, I had watched 146 movies, which is a, a lot of movies. <laughs> and I, uh, I had a lot of fun doing it because like I picked, you know, some were classics, some were just, you know, ones that had actors that I liked. Some were, you know, things that other people had recommended to me. Some were just random sci-fi movies that I thought might be interesting. Um, some were musicals, some were horror. I'm just, like, willing to try out pretty much anything and get a taste of, of whatever and just enhance my cultural literacy. And, yeah, so some of the movies were really good. Some of them were eh. <laughs> like, what stands out in my mind is towards the end, I watched The Fifth Element, and I was like, this is the worst movie that I have seen on this entire project. And I do not know how it became a cult classic. Because apparently people really, really like this movie, but everything about it is just hot garbage. <laughs> and I don't know how people love it so much, but... I guess if you like the fifth element, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so what was the best movie I'm, you watched? If I'm going to give it, I, I don't have a best movie. There were a lot that I really liked, but I figured that if I'm going to give an anti-recommendation, I should at least give a recommendation um, to counter it. Um, so if you like dark and intense... Uh, there, my recommendation is this movie called Life. It uh, is a sci-fi movie, and it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds, Rebecca Ferguson, and it just has incredible characterization, and then really intense stuff starts happening to these characters, and you feel it that much more because these characters are so interesting and they feel so real. And um, Yeah, so like horror is not necessarily my genre or anything, but... I watched a bunch of horror movies during this project, and some of the best movies have been the good horror movies, because the ones that have really good characterization just really grab you, because you're putting characters that you care about through through the ringer, and it just is gripping. And if you want something sweet and funny, um, my top recommendation that I can recall is uh, Confessions of a Shopaholic. Um, It's a romantic comedy. It's got Ilza Fisher and Hugh Dancy. It is so cute. That one's so cute. Oh my gosh. That one's when I, it was, that so, was like my so. first, like, oh, Hugh Dancy. And then he started showing up everywhere. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. Uh, it was, it's just really, really cute. And I really like the friendship dynamic between the main character and her best friend because, like, it's, it's very, very supportive, but also not enabling, which is a very tough line 
to walk and I appreciated that. Um, and just the whole, the character relationships and the, the situations were really cute and funny and sweet. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun. So yeah, those are my two recommendations. But if you want to find out more, you can actually, I made a, a blog slash newsletter for this, um, where I post my reviews and that's at, I think, smrosenbergblog.substack.com. I'll have to look that up, actually. We <laughs> could probably link that because <laughs> I don't remember the exact, uh, the exact, uh, URL for that. But yeah, that's, I've been sending out like weekly newsletter with a batch of five so it'll take me a while to get through all 146 movies in batches of five, but I'm up for it. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I don't feel called out for not watching one movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually not my intention, but if you are going to take my uh, success as your failure, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tamar, what is your current slash for the past three or four months obsession? Uh, well, it's really current, as current as uh, SM's is like long, because uh, I started watching it today. Uh, but it's also a long time obsession of mine is that I just started watching, this is like super fan, so you guys, um, Digimon just started re-airing um, a new series that's kind of like a remake of their first series that like was on air when we grew up. So they kind of, so it's literally called Digimon Adventure 2020. So they kind of modernize the whole... I don't know if you guys watched it. I have to tell my baby brother about this. I think he's the only one in our family who's ever watched it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's really good. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here, like, I've only seen two episodes so far. There's only 14 on Crunchyroll so far, which is like, sorry if any of my friends who work at Crunchyroll happen to listen to this episode, but the platform sucks. Like, it's just not a good streaming platform, uh, partially because it's not meant to be a a streaming platform. It's actually available now through HBO Max. Maybe it's better if you can watch through the HBO portal. Maybe. I don't have HBO Max, but I think we get it with our Hulu or Verizon or something. I have to check that out. Anyway. um, My new new... streaming service has it now. Very jealous. But yeah, so the, I just started watching it today. It's kind of like they do some interesting things that I'm interested in. So like in the first series that aired when we were younger, the kids didn't necessarily look like kids. But now there's kind of more of an impact. Like the art kind of shows them like looking younger and smaller because it's supposed to be about, you know, kids growing up and stuff. And they kind of have been able to uh, update a lot of it because like the name Digimon is like digital monsters so a lot of it that's happening it takes place like within the context of the world wide web and the internet and so when they first started the series it was like airing in like the late 90s and early 2000s like smartphones weren't a thing people just like wandering around with like tablets and stuff wasn't a thing so like in the first episode you know one of the characters who like used to always sit in front of his computer has like a tablet and he's walking around with it and it's just really cute how they like updated it I think the thing that kind of is like throwing me off a little is that it's very clearly targeted as being like a reboot for the older fans who like grew up with it. So like there's like pretty much so far two episodes in, it's just like, here are the characters you know and love and now there is like fighting. And it's just very, it it threw me off a little bit because I was just like, where's the plot? Um, But so far it's like, I got so excited when I saw a certain character and do this certain thing. And it was just like, it was like, Corona sucks. But this was like a nice trip down memory lane. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to do the thing. And um, and it was just really nice. And I've, um, speaking of doing the thing, I just finished Cora uh, last night. So like, I'm, I'm done God. with doing the thing. Ah! That's what I was thinking. But I, I like, the thing. yeah, um, they did the thing. I think I'm married. Um. So I just caught up to that and like I can only handle at any given time one animated series. So like I just I finished the Dragon Prince and then I watched Korra and now I'm watching Digimon whatever episodes that there are out there and I'm then I'm probably not going to watch an animated thing for like the next six years or until Dragon Prince comes out. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. If we have any listeners who want to discuss it, I have nobody in my life who I can talk about this with. So please hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> um, just because I want to, I love Digimon. I think it's so, I think it's so interesting. And like all the people I know who like Digimon are the best. Uh, I mean, Digimon versus Pokemon, not if you don't like Digimon, that you're a bad person, but just like, if you like Pokemon more, I, I've probably. 
(laughs) (laughs) This is good to know, because I'm not into either of them, but now I know which one makes me better. Well, I'm just saying, if you are a big Pokemon person, then that means that you're okay with, like, um, like, cockfighting and stuff. Animal fighting? Yeah, Yeah. and, like, slave enslaving creatures that you know have independent, like, consciousness and personalities. Like, it's problematic. But what if they like being enslaved? What if they're assholes? No, this is, like, some deep AO3 racism (laughs) crap going on. Oh my god. Um, well, um, I also, yeah? I just said, how about you, Michal? Like, what's your... Oh, Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, well, as for me, I, um, uh, it's also something of a throwback, um, but I, I don't even really have any justification for this, um, but I've gotten kind of obsessed with ER, which is the medical television show from the 90s and early 2000s, and it's all YouTube's fault, because what they, they basically just randomly floated two clips from a very dramatic episode across my my feed that I, like, remembered. And I was like, oh, I'll watch that for, you know, <laughs> old times' sake. And then I was like, hmm, I want to watch the whole episode. So I went to Hulu, and I watched that whole episode. And then I was like, I need more clips. So now I've watched clips from so much of the series I haven't actually sat down and like rewatched the series, but I did watch most of the rest of the season that that was part of that those episodes were part of. Um, and I just my YouTube is now just a field of yoga videos and and ER clips, uh, and then some other shows from NBC on the ninety in the nineties that uh, they're like, oh, you like that? You want to like watch this? And I'm like, ah, I didn't ask for any of this, but now all I can think of is Carter. <laughs> Oh, Dr. Carter. Oh, Carter and Lucy and Abby and Luca and oh my god. They actually did drop a helicopter on a guy's head. They they did they did that. That sounds like Grey's Anatomy before Grey's Anatomy. It was. I watched it when I was growing up and like I'm still scarred by something. I never watched it and the only thing I know about it is that at one point George Clooney was on it. And what? also my dad cites this as a show that he stopped watching Dafka because it was causing him so much stress that he was like, I have enough stress in my real life, why do I need stress from TV? (laughs) So that's all I know about it. Yeah, it's a very dramatic show. At least the early seasons are quite, like, it's, like, pretty accurate as far as, like, hospitals and medicine go, I I understand. And, uh, you know, not that I would know how to judge that. Um, But, you know, like... I'm just watching this episode, which aired in, in, like, 2000, and I'm like, some of this is so dated, and then some of this works so well, and it's just, like, the way they do the music, and, like, all this stuff, and I'm just like, I'm just used to thinking of ER as, like, Grey's Anatomy, but meaner, (laughs) and, like, with more men, (laughs) but, like... I love yeah. Grey's Anatomy for the record. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not like crapping on on Grey's Anatomy, but they're both medical shows that have been on for a very long time. Um mm-hmm. or, you know, in ER's case was on it was on for 15 seasons. Um Wow. Yeah. So, uh there are definitely some stinkers as I travel toward the end. <laughs> I'm like reading the Wikipedia of like what happened to have these characters and it's like, you know, it's an even split well, between, I do like, that. Oh, you could watch it instead. <laughs> Because there's 15, 15 seasons. 15 seasons of episodes. You're talking that. to someone who just watched 146 movies in three months, so... Like. Yeah, okay, I don't enjoy that. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's funny because it's kind of like your odds are even that it's like, oh, you know, they, they cared about this character and gave them, like, a really decent send-off, or they gave them a really depressing send-off, or they forgot about them completely and never mentioned them again. <laughs> it's just, yeah... It's, um, it's been an experience. So, yes, I am, I am somewhat obsessed in the world of Chicago General, what is it called? I don't remember. That's Something where it happens? Yeah, yeah, County General. Cook County General Hospital. And now I'm like, I wonder how they're handling coronavirus. It's too bad it's they okay. don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't had an ER reunion yet. Like, that seems like something that would happen during corona. 
Yeah, I know. And I think it went off the air in like 2009 or something. So like probably last year would have been the reunion year. I don't know if they did anything because I was still normal and didn't <laughs> wasn't paying attention to ER. <laughs> But yeah, so that is my obsession. Now we are going to move on to our main topic, which is an interview with, as I said, amazing author Tamar Herman. Uh, Tamar, welcome to the podcast. You can't see, but I'm doing I'm doing jazz hands right now, but you can't see. <laughs> thanks, Asa. Uh, thanks so much for oh, having so me on the podcast, guys. <laughs> we're happy to have you. Oh my god, this is I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. <laughs> Actually, I am, because I've been like, we really have to record Nice Jewish Fangirls again. And then, <laughs> so I'm really glad that we actually did. Um, but how 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 does it feel to be a published author with a book and an ISBN number and an Amazon page from a publisher and, like, a published author? Uh, well, for anybody who isn't aware, uh, I recently published a book. Oh, yeah, I guess uh, we should say we <laughs> <laughs> What is your Sorry, book? Too. How did this yeah, happen? What is everything? <laughs> um, so my book is BTS Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It's published by Viz Media and distributed by Simon Schuster, which is fun to say because I can say that Simon Schuster touched my book. Um, <laughs> and it's a book that's a comprehensive look at BTS's history, their music, and their career thus far. It's updated, uh, not their most recent album, but their prior most recent album so it's as recent as like last year not this year um so yes yeah, so. and bts to clarify for oh yeah you know, so bts if is, you're uh, if you is a boy band from korea k-pop boy band superstars yeah if you've never listened to this podcast before you probably don't have an idea that i live and breathe k-pop but now you're listening to it so uh yeah bts is a seven member group from south korea they are they've had four number one albums in the u.s they're on course to get their first number one single in the u.s this week with their first english language single dynamite which comes seven years into their career after they've made history numerous times with record after record and selling out numerous you know stadiums across the world and millions upon millions of albums i think they're the best selling sales this year so far like they've outpaced taylor swift even uh they're big and so I wrote a book and so I wrote a book about them because they're so big and because I love them so much and because it's kind of what I do I write about K-pop all day long uh so yeah so that's my book and I do have an ISBN number as you said that I was like am I supposed to memorize my ISBN number is that a thing like others do do? do like like why I guess you could but like the ISBN number is like far from the most important thing like the most important thing was I even posted it on Instagram because it was so exciting my mom filmed me when I was opening up my book the first time the first time I got my hands on it because of Corona I didn't get ARCs, which was like very depressing. I want ARCs. Uh, ARCs are like the preview book for anyone who's unfamiliar. And usually you get them before the book goes to publication and they're like kind of rough. So there can be some editing changes and there's they're usually sent out to reviewers. So you usually get like, you know, the nice little blurb quotes that go on the back of the book. But because of Corona... I didn't get arcs and I didn't get blurb quotes and I'm kind of depressed about it. And I'm like, I need another book because I need blurb quotes. But uh, for right now, I'm very excited about this book. It's beautiful. It's huge. That is everyone's response is that it's beautiful and it's huge, which like, I also wrote a lot of words in it. So it's not just me. I was like, oh my God, this is like a legit huge, like coffee table, almost book. It's not quite coffee table because it's hard, it's soft cover, but it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like a a gazunta book. Like it's a book. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's what I thought. Like when I looked at the the price on it, I was like, "Oh, this is like a serious, big deal, heavy duty book," you know? <laughs> uh, well, I've had like a lot of people complaining, like, "Why is it a paperback?" And like, I think the market price was twenty eight dollars, and it's like, well, if you get the book or if you see it in a store, you'll understand why it's so expensive because we use, you know, heavy duty paper. Everything on it is like gorgeously made. The it's design full color, team. right? <laughs> yeah, it's full color. The, the the all the pictures are HQ. Um, like high def uh, pictures, we got photo rights from some of the photographers who took them directly. So we have stuff that like have only ever been released on in like certain magazines or haven't been seen to like the light of day um, in a really long time, if ever. So uh, pretty cool stuff in there. If you're interested in some fun BTS photos, rather than like the 17 that are on Getty that usually are reused for BTS nowadays. Uh, so it was pretty cool for us. And there's actually like, um, the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't know if I should say this. I was pretty traumatized because on like page four, all the members aren't there. And I was just like, what? 
hell, like I was cursing for a long time and sending nasty emails to people like, how did this happen? <laughs> um, and they were and they were like, well, like, we can't do anything about this now. And I was so upset. And then and then like, really, like, it was just like, I don't know if it was their team doing it purposefully, like, maybe this was the point. And on page four, you're like not seeing all of them, like all their, some of their faces are obscured. They're not facing the camera. Like not all of them are in the picture. And then like one of the very last pictures is a full two page spread of this photo, but like not this photo, it's another photo from the shoot. And it's just like, oh, so like you're starting it and you don't know them. And then you get to the end. Yeah. And so like, after I like freaked out and like, was like, this is terrible. It was like, oh, it all makes sense. So it like all comes together. Like, honestly, like I was really, um, I was like kind of, I'm still kind of a little bit like the inside is very colorful. The book is very serious. Like it's total, like doesn't make any sense. But every time I open it, I just like get so happy. It looks so bright and so exciting. And um, I hope people enjoy it. And I hope people read it. And you don't need to read it straight because it's history and then music reviews and then like some mini essays at the end. So you can like read wherever you want to read. So I think it's like kind of like a uh, choose your own story of BTS sort of thing. But if you read it straight, that's probably better because that's how I wrote it. So <laughs> please read it straight. <laughs> or just read it. I don't care. Yeah, it's you- a coffee table book. You can just pick it up and just open it to any part and just read that little, you know, mm. a snippet here and a snippet there. I mean, you mm-hmm. can. There are snippets like that. So I guess you can. But that's not the point. The point is to get a deep dive into <laughs> BTS. Uh, but yeah, I hope, mm. I hope people enjoy, and I hope nobody else thinks about that photo thing the way I did because it looks really cool. And they're both really great photos, but I did freak out when I first noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's completely understandable. Um, can you can you like walk us through like the the writing process for this book? Like, were you kind of pitching something, and then you know it got picked up, and you had written some of it already, or was this kind of like you know just just hey, we want you to write a book about K-pop and it has to come out in August of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it was That's how books work, come right? out like It was supposed to come out like a year ago, but things got really delayed, uh, partially because of me and partially because of contracts and stuff. Uh, but pretty much I had started talking with, uh, actually my publisher, Josh Getzler. He, sorry, my agent, Josh Getzler. Uh, he had reached out to me and another K-pop writer who uh, I write, I work with, um, at Billboard, and once in a while, we have a few articles that we co-wrote. He reached out to us to write a book, potentially, and pitch it around to people. So we did all this work, and at the time, this was I think 2017. Nobody wanted a, a, a like a book on any K-pop artist that wasn't like an official biography. So in you know America, it's quite normal to have you know music bios that aren't official, but they were thinking only K-pop fans are going to care, only K-pop people are going to buy it. So if it's not official, the fans won't buy it. Um, and K-pop companies tend to be pretty uh, rigid about what sort of content is allowed to be out there. So we kind of knew no K-pop company would really be on board for this book. So we tried a little bit, like, maybe we can get BTS to, you know, do an interview, but it won't be a, an official book, whatever. Uh, and so we pitched it around for a few months and nobody wanted that book. And then, like, literally, like, this was, like, really from God, um, my publisher... Viz Media reached out to me and said, hey, and my editor reached out and she said, hey, I really like your work. Do you want to hop on a call? Uh, And this was, I believe, in 2018. I have to check my email. And she just kind of said, I like your work. And I think, you know, you've been writing about BTS really well. You've been covering them. You know, they started breaking into the US around 2016. You've been covering, I was started to write for Billboard in 2016. So it was kind of like the perfect storm where I was on BTS beat. She wanted a BTS book. And so we did it. (laughs) Uh, So it was, we, you know, we talked, we discussed what we imagined. We talked to certain people in Korea to make sure that we could write this book. And um, we, yeah, we got things going and I started just writing. And because I'm a freelancer, I had to like, uh, books don't, surprisingly, surprise, books don't make a lot of money. So uh, I, I did make some money on the book, which is nice. Uh, so I had to get an advance, which is a good thing. But um, I still had to work. So I was writing for like other places like Billboard and Forbes and wherever else I've, I've wrote for during the time when I was writing for this book. And then I was like at like anywhere between like 9pm and like 1am starting to write. So I usually finished writing around 2am, which kind of as anybody who writes knows that means I mostly stared at my screen until I kind of realized, shoot, I have to write something tonight. Um, I did try to keep track of how many words I was writing I don't know what day. you're talking about. I just <laughs> sit down and the words just flow. <laughs> I, I, I just come spilling out. There was one point when I was like, okay, I need to do 
like 1500 a day for like this month and then I'll get it done. And then I start editing and it was just like, that is definitely not what happened. Um, and then it was like a whole other process because it changed into like all these subheadings and we changed some stuff around. So it was a big process. I now know a lot more about bookmaking than I did before. And I hoped this to be, I hope this is only like my first of many books. So uh, it was a great process. What is a what is a really important lesson, like one thing that you learned from this process that you didn't know going in? So I actually just saw a thread on on uh, Twitter about this today, and there was an article that it linked to about this, and I thought my experience was very rare, but it's actually totally common, which is that for nonfiction books, the onus of hiring a fact checker is on the writer because companies don't publishing houses don't want to take it upon themselves to hire fact checkers they don't want the liability so if you are writing like literally if you're a journalist or you're an expert in your field and you don't think you can afford a fact checker because they can go anywhere from like like i got a cheap one who let me i was like real apologetic and i was just like i just don't have enough of my advances she was like that's totally fine and the book wasn't so um intense because so much of it i had sourced like direct like i just handed her a source sheet that's like here's all the links you just need to like look up some things and make sure the dates are pretty much like accurate like because some dates were korea time and some were u.s time so we had to kind of make sure we had a hard time doing that um but so she gave me a nice deal and she was lovely to work with. She uh, fact checks the New Yorkers, I think like their bridal magazine each year or something. So she like has fact checking, but she was looking for some work. So it was perfect. She was great. She was lovely. Um, but apparently this is normal. And the average fact checker runs for a book anywhere from 2000 to $10,000, depending on how big your advance is. And that's all Ooh, directly wow. from you. You're getting taxed on the money from the advance and then you have to pay someone. So you're losing like a ton of money. And, you know, if you and like the idea is essentially like, okay, well, if you're so good, you don't need a fact checker, which is ridiculous. Like any journalist writing a book or anyone writing a book should be fact checked. And I was editors exist. I mean, I mean, right. So you'd think that an editor's job should be that. And there is like some, you know, like they're just supposed to be, but like when you have a whole book, there's so much information. Um, So, you know, you get like, like, even like if you're writing an article, like mm -hmm. there's, there's just like a a filter process of like fact, you know? Yeah. I mean, in my experience, editors don't do fact checking. Um, They sometimes like, yeah, I mean, maybe for places you've written for, I've been very, very unimpressed by fact checking at most outlets that I've worked for. Um, not because like any one editor is a problem just because most outlets got rid of all their fact checkers and they just decided like, like I've, yeah, like I've definitely published, like I'm in Los Angeles and I wrote Las Vegas or vice versa once. And I was like mortified that that went to print, but it was just like, okay, well my fingers typed that thing and you should have noticed that because you're the editor and you knew where it was taking place. And like, I'm not the only person here to blame, but for books, it's like they want you to be the person to blame. They don't want to have anybody else have... I don't know why. Right. Like, I, it could be a money thing, you know. But um, according to this article I read today, it was, like, a lot of people saying in public... Like, publishers don't, like, you know, have a sheet of fact checkers they think authors should work with. They don't have any resources. Like, everyone has to go find their own. It's, like, this really stupid part of the industry, which is, like... and 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 this was the interesting thing. Everybody featured in the article and every fact checker featured in the article were women. And they and they pointed it out. They said, it doesn't seem like male authors take it upon themselves necessarily to get fact checked or for whatever reason, it's in their contracts and they get it fact checked. So it was like pretty frustrating. Um, but yeah, so I did hire a fact checker and it, she was lovely to work with. And it was like kind of fun to go through her facts, like checking because it was both like, yay, I didn't get so, so much wrong. And then it was also like, oh no, I got like something like a week off in one week. And it was so like, I'm so happy I hired her. And it was just, it was a, you know, like editing is always kind of a, you know, a positive critique. But um, I was, I was, yeah, I was really blown away by that. I could talk about this for hours. Like I was really, really surprised that fact checking falls on the author, that if you don't get it, you don't get fact checked. Like, it's just like, yeah, we're going to go publish this without fact checking it. It's just like, I don't get it. You just think books don't need to be fact checked. Even if it's like, I don't know, a kid's nonfiction book, it should be fact checked. Um, so, so the article was kind of pointing out how so many nonfiction uh, books are. Dead. Yeah. I mean, nonfiction books are, t- are not always, but oftentimes written by like professors or journalists or people who you're used to be like checked so like you know researchers you know when they present people question their papers and they have to present and they have to like you know get grilled on their research and then journalists like 
you have fact checking and you have, you know, the public are be are your fact checkers sometimes. And it's just like, okay, well, why don't books, you're putting so much money into books. Why don't you just, you know, set aside like, okay, so you get your advance for X amount of dollars. And also, you know, here's like 2000, 3000, 5000 to hire a fact checker, or we have a fact checker we think you would be great for like, I don't know, I can't, I got really mad. And this article kind of proved that I wasn't like losing my mind in my madness, um, in my anger, rather. And it was just, it was really shocking. Like, honestly, I was really shocked by that. And I'm really uh, concerned kind of uh, because of that. Like, not just for my book. I'm not concerned about my book. I hope, you know, nobody's perfect. So, you know, hopefully there's nothing in my book that's like super off or something. Um, like if there's, you know, I meant the 10th and I wrote the 11th or something. I'm not gonna, you know, cuss wish on like be super yeah, upset about it. Like, I hope, I hope it didn't happen. If it happens, you know, typos happen in books all the time. This isn't, you know, be all and end all. The book still exists 70,000 other words. Um, but I was, I was really thrown off um, to hear that this is like a, a industry-wide, like, shrug your shoulders. Who cares about fact-checking? Wow. We just turned over a rock and I don't like what we found. Well, that was cool. <laughs> I'm really glad I asked that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, love to editors out there. You guys have a really hard job. Um I'm not saying fact-checking should be your job. I'm just surprised that, like, yeah, there aren't more filters built into the system. Yeah, I mean, I love my editor. My editor, Sarah Fairhall, is so lovely. Um, I always loved getting coffee with her whenever she's in town because she was in San Francisco and I was in New York while writing this, so we only got to hang out a few times. And absolutely lovely. Everyone at Viz was lovely. Remember hanging out with people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even, like, even that, I was so shocked. And, like, I just thought it was, like, a me thing. Like, oh, maybe I'm just, like, being like, uh, really too attentive, like, this is something normal, and nobody gets their books fact-checked, and now I'm reading this whole article today that's like, yeah, I don't know why this is a whole issue, it shouldn't be an issue, like, this should be something, like, I remember I brought it up with my agent, and when we were doing the contract, he's like, yeah, that doesn't go in the contract, and I was like, why not, and if I write another book, I'm going to fight a lot more, either for more money, so I could put that aside directly for, like, for the fact-checker, but the thing is, because it's, after taxes, it's like, it's like so annoying. Sorry. I guess, but I, I'm happy <laughs> that I got that. So what was the best thing about this? If this was like one of the, one of the worst and most unpleasant surprises, what was a pleasant <laughs> surprise you got? Um, people have been asking me like, what's the most interesting thing I learned? And the thing is, it's not that any one thing was particularly interesting because I kind of knew so much of what I was going to be writing about and saying. So like there was a few facts and like a few lyrics that like I looked at a different way after writing something. Um, but I think it was just kind of like, I remember I got when I finished editing it after I so I had already submitted it and I got my draft back and I finished editing it the like first time. And I just started crying and I was just like, holy crap, I wrote a book. Um, and it's a good book. And I remember like thinking like, oh, did, did I really like, you know, I remember when I first started writing, I was just like, how am I going to write around 70,000 words about one topic? Like as much as I've written about BTS, like I was thinking, okay, I've probably already written about 15,000 words on BTS. So at least I got like that much, but I haven't written one piece of work about like one artist in like, or anything since like I finished my college undergraduate, like, um, like my final like paper, like my research paper, like 20,000 words. Like I have never written that much and I have not written longer an article that's like longer than 2000 words in at least like since 2014. And so I remember freaking out about that. And, and I was like, how am I going to do this? And I had the whole book outlined. So I knew exactly like kind of what points I wanted to um, emphasize and kind of what I wanted to explore. And I know my own writing style. So I knew kind of like what it would be about. I mean, of course I knew what it would be about. It was a book I was writing. Um, but then when I got to the end, I was just like so blown away. I was just like, oh my God, I wrote this. And I like explain what I've wanted to explain all along about this band, like from my perception and like why, why they're so good. <laughs> and, um, and I just remember being like overwhelmed by like their goodness. And also like I got to complete it. And I was just so happy. And I was like, really, I was just sitting there at my desk, like, Oh, that's it. There's no more pages to scroll on my word. Like, that's the end. I told the story and the book was actually supposed to be called the story of BTS. Um, it was supposed to be called it's called BTS blood, sweat and tears. It was supposed to be blood, sweat and tears, the story of BTS. And there are reasons why I didn't get my bird title. Um, Every time someone says, why isn't it blood, tears, and sweat? I, like, actually want to punch them. I'm like, it's not their fault. I guess it's a reasonable question to ask, but I've heard you explain <laughs> this so many times that I'm just like, no! 
<laughs> Blood, Sweat, and Tears is a song of BTS's. It's very pivotal. I thought that it was kind of the pivotal music video for them and single for them that kind of changed their whole career. Um, there's other points, milestones that were huge. I Need You was probably the like first point to get them to where they are today. But I think um, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, like I could go on and on and on and on and on about it. But for the purpose of the book, it's called Blood, Sweat, and Tears because you have three sections. So it's blood and then is the history and sweat is the music and tears is the like um, analysis I guess it's like many essays on different uh things that go went into BTS and like kind of kind of exploring like how did they get here beyond the history and beyond the music like what's going on with their fans and their music and their messaging and all this stuff and so for my purpose because I told you I had that little freak out about like so many words so for me that was kind of like almost like a coping mechanism was like, okay, I'm writing a lot of words, but it's only one section. So I can kind of break it down. Um, so I still, I kind of wish we had just called it blood, sweat and tears, but they wanted BTS somewhere in there. Um, and so it just became BTS BST, which is like kind of annoying because most people who see it don't know that it's a song, but I know it's a song and I'm really happy and it's a beautiful cover. It's so shiny. I'm obsessed. It's holographic. Um, it's gorgeous. And I I did not like it when I first saw it. I was just like, okay. And then they sent me the like a picture of it like shiny and I was just like, this is the best thing ever. Um so I'm I'm so happy with it. You know, it's first book woes and I'm so happy I gotta have my first book woes with this book. Like honestly, like BTS if you're not already listening or aware of them, like, I, I just don't know how or why. It's it's like somebody who, you know, wasn't, like, aware of Britney Spears when she was at her height or the Beatles when they were at their height, if you're that generation. Like, it's just, like, you can't not know about their impact at this point, even if you're not, you know, a fan or something. And so I have a lot of thoughts about BTS and their impact, and I could go on forever. Aw. Well, that's good. I think... You know, for, well, I've never done it. So now you're in the, the mythical club of people who have, like, written a book, capital W, capital A, capital B. And, but I, I you know, I, I hear a lot of people being like, you get to the point where you just, you hate all the words and nothing's right and whatever. So I'm really glad that you love the topic and were able to kind of, I assume, power past any any of those difficulties with love of the subject and they know who you are. So, like, let me just brag for a second. Because, like, these super internationally famous people, if you were, like, I'm friends with Tamar Herman, and they would be like, yeah, yeah, we know her. And I just think that's really cool. I don't know if they would recognize my name. I don't know about that, but... Okay, well, if I pulled up a picture on my phone... <laughs> okay, if you meet... Yeah, if we said, if oh, you meet... I know the the person who wrote this book. That would, that maybe. <laughs> they would be like, oh, um, that fun. Their PR team definitely knows about me. If their PR's there, they're the ones who probably would be... Well, arms. But, um, yeah, if you said hi to their PR person. Like, the other day, they had a press conference that was, like, digital because Corona. And, and I was just, like, laughing because I was like, oh, I know who's translating. Like, that's x y and z pr person's voice who's like providing the translation which is just funny um so i'm a nerd and i know what bts's pr team sounds like so um <laughs> so that was just like a funny like me moment where i was just sitting there like oh hi um but yeah bts they're really cool i think i people who have read the book who have no interest in bts have told me they enjoy it so i hope that's that's true. I hope they're not just blatantly lying to me and it's like a terrible read and nobody enjoys it. Please enjoy it. And if you don't, I don't know, stop reading and give it to like somebody else you know who pr might like BTS or might enjoy it. Um, I just want people to enjoy, enjoy it. Please enjoy it. And just enjoy. <laughs> um, so I did want to ask in terms of the, the, the horrible, scary sitting down at your computer and I have 70,000 words to write and whatever, <laughs> what techniques worked for you? Because now there are 70,000 words that are in a book. And, like, I'm just like, uh, how is this, how, how does that happen? Like, I've written something and I'm like, ah, oh good, it's 1,500 words. I mean, between you guys and all of our listeners, it was mostly, I have a contract and I need to write something. It was just like, crap, I have <laughs> to write. Like, I can't not write because someone is expecting this. And if I don't write it, I don't get the money for it and I owe them money. <laughs> so sometimes when like, 
I'd be staring at my computer at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. and just be like, why are the words coming out? Like my roommate would literally leave like chocolate bars around the apartment for me for when I was having a tough day writing, which is so nice. Uh, Lexi will not listen to this, but thank you, Lexi. My roommate's the best. Um, and she she has no interest in BTS. Like she told, like she has no interest in K-pop whatsoever. Like literally I've listened to like albums that are, you know, gonna top charts around the world like a week before because I have to do reviews or whatever and I'm like blasting them around her apartment and she doesn't even like notice like fans around the world would kill to be in Lexi's shoes sometimes I laugh about it and I'm just like oh Lexi she has no idea what like how how special she is just getting to hear these songs early and she doesn't care that's the best part of it (laughs) like I just think it's so funny she's here to cheer me on and you guys are cheering me on it was all wonderful um and so yeah so usually kind of it was just like Sometimes it was just a matter of, yes, it was sometimes just a matter of like, I have to do this. Like, this is actually my job. Like I was hired to do this and I've never not written an article that I was, you know, hired to do. I've never not submitted something that I've been, you know, on contract for or even not on contract. I've never not submitted something like the first time in my career that I was late on something by like more than like a day because then you can email and be like, sorry, we're going to do by AM or something was actually like Corona with an article where I was like, uh, there was no due date. So I was like two weeks late on it because it was just like at the end of this month and then I got it to that mid month, but it was Corona. So hopefully he understood and uh, he edited still. So it was good. But I think, yeah, so coping was more kind of like mind over matter. And also this is, I think both of you, Michal and Essam, like you're either working on or have worked on fiction books. And, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't like have to come up with anything except how to get the words together. So I, I mean, that's not true, but like, I didn't have to, you know, invent it from error. Like it was, how can I analyze this? Or how can I describe this? Or how can I relay this? And so if I couldn't get something, I would either just move on and just find something that like in that moment, my mood could, or, you know, I bless the song that, you know, this this section of the book represented, or I would put on a different album. Um, people keep on asking me if I listened only to BTS and while I was doing it. And actually, I listened to a lot of classical music while I was doing it because I was actually getting really distracted by the music that I the book was inspired by because I'd be like writing <laughs> dance parties yeah, all the time. It'd be like I'd be putting on like one song like, wait, no, I need to write about this other song or I put on an album and then it would go to the next album. It's like, no, go back to the other album that I actually have to write about. But I want to listen to this album now or like certain um albums of theirs you know I as a person I have different preferences and so writing about one album versus another it was like okay let's just like okay how many times can I listen to this song and like get through it so there were times where like literally my um like my listen counts on iTunes like went up like 45 songs in like an hour because I would be listening to these songs on repeat so many times just to like write every single song I wrote about individually in the book um I listened to like while I was writing it. So if it was a song that was only like two lines, because some of them like don't really have lyrics or anything worth kind of, uh, that I felt was important to kind of analyze. And then you have other ones that are like a thousand words themselves. So that word length is like correlated to how many times I listened to the song. And um, because like I didn't turn it off while I was writing each of those blurbs. So if I was talking about that song, uh, I was still listening to it. So sometimes I would just move on if like a song or an album wasn't working. But I did, I did kind of pretty much go from start to end because I you know there wasn't necessarily like there wasn't necessarily a larger story in my mind as I was writing and I've heard from people that like they think that I went into thinking of this and I was like yeah sure that's great um in my mind the whole story was why BTS are excellent and like why they are BTS and why everyone should be paying attention to BTS and like at the end of the day that was like my goal was to kind of like this wasn't you know this wasn't necessarily um like a piece of academic criticism or something like this is a book that's a deep dive that thinks critically, but also is just, you know, a celebration of BTS. And so when I like was sitting there, like trying to figure out something, I would, I would literally just like, okay, I'm going to go shower now, or I'm going to, you know, go to sleep now. Or um, if it was early enough and I somehow started writing it um, early on the night, like, let me go make dinner or go on a walk or something. Um, I think like my goal was pretty evident, get from point A to point B, which is the beginning to the end and explain this thing, which is how wonderful BTS are and how to do that. I kind of like had broken down into little subsections and different chapters. And there were definitely times like I'm, I think I remember my first draft, like I sent it to my editor and it was a mess. Like there was, (laughs) I'm surprised I didn't get fired on the spot. Um, Like it, it was not like a real draft and I didn't know anything about it. I 
never took like how to write books for 101. And so I had no idea what I was doing with that draft. And like, I remember getting it back from her and there was so much work that I needed to do. And I remember like sitting there, like staring at this, like, how am I going to do this? And it was just like, okay, you're going to do this. Like, you know, you're writing about not to be cheesy, BTS's blood, sweat and tears. So like, you have to put some of yours in too. And um, I don't know if that really answers Michal's question of how to cope because I'm terrible at coping techniques in every step of my life. But um, every step of my life is kind of just like doing the next thing and getting, you know, from point A to point B. And one time, this is a very non sequitur, but one time I was at a Hanukkah party, actually. Um, and one of my friends is an artist and he, I'm not going to say what sort of art, because if he somehow listens or anybody who knows him listens, will know it's him. And he got like really mad at me because I was saying, he said that for him, the artistic experience of the creation, creating is what he finds value in as an artist. And I was like, oh, well, for me, it's like, as a writer, my whole point is to get the content out to other people. Like I either know my research or I know the story I want to tell or I like know my thoughts about a song or something. So if I'm writing, the whole point is the end game. And he was like mortified that like my process <laughs> wasn't necessarily like what I found value in. And I was just like, why would like every writer hates the writing process? The writing process is like torturous, but you're not writing for you. You're writing so other people can read it and or, you know, audible listen. So, um, so I just like, I remember being like so mad at him. And then he texted me to wish me miles of love on my book. And I was like, should I break it up? Um, I didn't break it up. I wanted to. I was being, I like really, there were like a few people who like in different points of my career have given me a really hard time for whatever reason. And like when they congratulated me, I was just sitting there so smug. I was just like, I wrote so many subtweets and I deleted them. I was so proud of myself. It was so good. I didn't I didn't only write this book for that, but it was it was worth it. It was like this book, I was so happy to fit like to write this book. I was so happy to write this book and finish the book because it felt so good because you know, this book, like I gotta share everything. Well not everything, but a lot of things I had thoughts on BTS because no book is is every idea, but like and they're like already since they've released another album and they just released a new single, like I have so much more I wanna say. But um I gotta say a lot and I and I hope some people like it. Well, you are the number one new release in international music books on Amazon. So I think some people did. I hope so. Or it was just my friends and my parents buying it because my parents, they didn't realize how many books my like I was getting. I think I got like 30 books from my publisher or something. And so they went in, they thought like they weren't coming because, um, because of the mail is terrible right now. So they were like, well, your book just came out and you don't have any books. And I was like, it's fine. I'm getting... Like, they were like, you only have one copy of your book and your book just came out. Like, we have to give our neighbors and our family members, your sister. And I was like, grandmother was like, my grandmother's in Toronto. I literally ordered a book from, like, a Canadian bookseller to her from Indigo, if anybody knows Canada, Canadian booksellers. Um, so, like, I, I, like, wasn't sending it to her. Like, my grandmother does not have a signed copy of my book. And I was just like, okay, well, I mean, they're sending the books. So they'll come eventually. And it's somewhere between 10 and 30. I'd have to check my, like, contract to check. And they were like, super like no no no, we need to go get you books so like one day I wake up and there's a huge box on our doorstep and they ordered like 12 or 15 books and I was just like why and then like the next day my 30 books came from the publisher so (laughs) we have like almost 45 copies of my book in the house right now which is like overkill um so I will eventually I I know authors who have like their books have gone out of print and they don't only have one copy so that my goal was not to have that happen but also like I want to be able to give these of my books. So do I, we want to do a giveaway? Um, if we, we can do a giveaway. I'm happy to do a giveaway. We should do something like a raffle copter like we did last time. Yeah, we could set that up. Yeah, we could do it. Yeah. All right. So stay tuned for that. We didn't. We clearly didn't think this through. <laughs> nice Jewish fangirls. Prepared always. <laughs> <laughs> we are like the opposite of the boys. Um, well, my my last question. <laughs> well, now it's just the scouts. Oh no, my last question for you tomorrow. Um, I don't know if S- if SM has any more, but and we you can answer this in any way you want. But we are nice Jewish fangirls, and I was wondering we've gone into the fangirl part, but how the Jewish part, if at all, played into either the book itself or your approach to the book, or you know reading into the lyrics that you were writing about or anything like that okay so this is my favorite fun fact about bts is their anniversary is 6 ah! which if you're listening to this <laughs> <laughs> which if you're listening to this and you're not 
very Jewish fangirly like we are. 613 is how many mitzvot there are for buddies. What are, how do you translate mitzvot? Commands, thank you. Commandments. Commandments in the Torah. So 613 is a very lucky number. So I never forget BTS's anniversary, which is really surprising because, like, I forget my sister's birthday. Um, and then also <laughs> their their series, the Love Yourself series and the Map of the Human Soul series are based on Jungian psychoanalytical, like, perspectives. And they based, um, they, like, actually, through BTS's website, they put a book by a professor named Murray Stein on their website. And if the name doesn't tip you off, Murray Stein happens to be of the tribe. And I spoke to him for the book and we actually, he had said it in a previous interview on a podcast and I brought it up when we were doing the interview and he had said, he had suggested that BTS is um, like uh, the current like philosophy that they espoused in their music was kind of similar to Tikkun Olam or repairing the world. Like the music is supposed to kind of inspire people to be better and to make, you know, their own lives better and to make the lives of people around them better. And they've been doing this since like day one of their career in whatever way that their lyrics have been kind of rallying against socio-political issues and issues that personally people deal with and stuff. And then they also have like the girl, the love songs, don't worry. Um, but so he kind of espoused, you know, this idea of tikkun olam. So there is a little bit of Judaism in my book in that, in that um, interview. And, and if you notice the 613 thing, I didn't like put it in. I, the book isn't narrated by me. It's just a, like a third person narration. Um, I kind of uh, am deathly afraid of like op-eds and stuff. So the idea of writing a whole book first person or like second person, I guess, um, was terrifying. So I decided not to do that. So I don't think it says I or me, like really maybe, maybe once or twice in the whole book. Um, but if you want to read a whole book that is fun, that is like that, uh, Maria Sherman's Larger Than Life just came out and it's about boy bands just in general. And it's really fun and really witty and really sarcastic. So like, if you want a more personal like exploration of boy bands, you can have that one for this one. It's kind of just like, they're wonderful. And I'm just putting it out there into the universe, a, a random narrator. So yeah, so it's pretty Jewish um, in like subtle ways. Like BTS is not Jewish. And I don't think BTS would what Tikkun Olaf is or the importance of 613. But these are fun things. And like, it was, it felt really good, like, to think about those things. I was just like, oh, like, I'm the only probably writer who would read, read about BTS and think those things. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. I love that. I love that. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, I just think I just think the 613 thing is just like really fun. And like some days on Twitter, like I'm just like, do does every Jewy BTS fan think this? Like, or is it just like, <laughs> like, I'm sure I'm not the only Jewy BTS fan who thinks that that's just really fun. Like, because it's just like something random. And it's just coincidental. I just think it's cool. It's an Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool Easter egg. Or a, a Pesach egg. <laughs> We don't I, do Pesach eggs. We call you <laughs> I saw people. I saw people like talking the other day. This is totally off topic, but I saw people talking on Twitter the other day about how like Easter didn't happen, and I was like, please, we all, everyone in Corona Land had Passover. Who was celebrating Passover any year? Like it was a whole thing. It was like, how do you do it? Um, but so like it was kind of funny to see people be like, oh, Easter was canceled, and I was like, Passover was. <laughs> Okay, no joke though. We're Jews, we don't cancel anything. I genuinely. (laughs) We will suffer through. Like, I have a hard time remembering Pesach because I'm just like, I know it happened and I know what it felt like to prepare for it, but the memory of the thing is, is just a blur. It's, oh, man. I mean, to be fair, that's like the last three months. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, if I didn't have a document keeping track of all 146 movies that I watched, I would not remember them. Okay, but that's also 146 movies. Uh, uh, it's a blur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, that's my thoughts on Jude's Jewy BTS fun facts. Awesome. Has that many last questions? What's your favorite page <laughs> in the book? Okay, okay, okay. I actually do have I one. I know you must have one. So I do have one, but it's like it's a it's it's a very me one. It's not because like I think this is the page that everyone needs to. Um no. I'm like grabbing my book and being like, okay, what page is it? Um so so I have two pages. So the first one is okay, actually I have three pages, sorry. Um two of them are pictures. <laughs> two of them are pictures and one of them is um is a fun fact. Actually they're all right near each other. So if you go to page 32 of the book, it's called Transmedia Storytelling and K-Pop, which is what I wrote my undergrad um, final paper on. And kind of just like, it, it was kind of fun to revisit just for like 
my book, this thing that in college I spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, and because BTS are the kings of transmedia storytelling in K-pop, like it was a wonderful experience. And it is only one page. It's, it might have the smallest font in the book because we didn't want to put it on two pages or the design team. I didn't really get a say in things like that. Um, but it looks really cool. And there's a really great photo of Sugar with a really cool hat and blonde hair, which is like one of my favorite Sugar looks. Sugar is a rapper in BTS, if you're unfamiliar. And so it's just like, it's a fun page for me. Um, and then actually on the next page, which is 33, because I did open up my book, is a picture taken by a friend of mine at a concert. Um, um, so that's pretty cool because I got a friend's picture in my book. It's so nice. Um, actually, I have a few friends because a few people who are photographers who I'm friends with. But like that one's just kind of cool because like I set it up. It wasn't just like their photography team being like, can we get this picture? And I was like, oh, wait, but like she has pictures. Let's let's get her. Um, and then on page like 40, 48 and 49, there is a really cool picture of BTS performing like on the ground. And it's just a really cool shot. I love cool shots. I I like oh, so many pages. I'm like flipping through and I'm like, oh, this is such a good picture. This is such a good paragraph that I wrote. And just like, oh, the section on like reoccurring themes in the BU. Oh, it's so good. I, I could just like go on forever. <laughs> Like, honestly, at a certain point, it was like, how do I not go on forever? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, so that was, like, a lot of stuff, and I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if I have to think of, like, a different page. Like, should I have a, a real page? No, you, all the reasons you want. Oh, that's a um, good reason. So, like, last, so, like, last night I actually was, um, I was talking PopCon conference, and I was supposed to be discussing, like, I was supposed to be reading an excerpt, but we didn't have time. It was really sad, but I, while I didn't get to read this one, this wasn't actually my excerpt. On page 273 in the book, which I think is really fun, um, I I have some of um, Drake's Grammy speech at the Grammys in 2019, where he kind of like, um, he got like pulled off stage, like they cut his speech short, because he was kind of talking down about how the Grammys kind of don't always, or re- pretty rarely actually re- um, reflect how the popularity of artists, and they kind of are a lot of racism, it's historic racism, it's tons of fun. Uh, but so Drake was kind of nodding to how artists sometimes don't get recognized by like artistic academies. And so I kind of tied in BTS and their like lack of, um, radio play, which a lot of people blame on xenophobia and like their lack of awards in, in the West, um, and really late recognition, um, in the West kind of to, uh, like Drake's speech, which I thought was just kind of fun, and I just thought it was a cool speech that Drake gave. Do you like... want to read an excerpt? No, 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 no. that one's not. Re- that one's just like a fun excerpt. That's not like a cool. I mean, that is a cool excerpt, but like people can. If you're a Drake, but do you have one that you would want to read? Um, not really. The excerpts I pulled out last night were very specific. We were discussing certain things, like the way that we view boy bands and like masculinity and gender, and so like those were, and they were also pretty long. It was like ten pages of excerpts. It was supposed to be a book focused series so like it was really cool because some really amazing uh, music journalists were there and powers asked me a question and like I nearly died and I was just like did she like my answer she probably did not like my answer but I hope she liked my answer (laughs) (laughs) and powers is so cool I hope when I'm older people think of me like and powers yeah, there's that. So that yeah, no, so cool. I don't, I mean, I could have, I should have prepared. I should have prepared like maybe the tea or something, um, but I didn't. Well, we didn't prepare that. these questions. So I, I think it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is totally off the cuff. <laughs> so of course we are going to put all the links where you can buy Tamara's book, BTS, Blood, Sweat, and Tears into, uh, we, we will put them in the show notes. I, I don't know how to say words anymore. Buy it and rate it five exactly. stars. Uh, another thing you should rate five stars just like this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> on iTunes. Um, if anyone is out, out there still listening, we, we, we do appreciate it. So, Tamar, if people want to find at, find you or more about BTS or any of the wonderful world of K-pop, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at Tamar Writes on Twitter and Instagram. And also, I just redid my website, so it's very cool, and it kind of looks like an Instagram page. It's tamarherman.com, which is very simple and easy, and you can find my book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and, like, Google at um, at Tamar. Um, It's just called BTS Blood, Sun, and Tears, and I hope anyone who wants to and read it enjoys it and and even if you don't like if you have a family member or a friend who you think might enjoy it like please share it i just want people to read it and just learn so much about bts 
Great Hanukkah present, just so you know. Order order early. <laughs> we don't know what state the Postal Service will be in or when it comes to Hanukkah. Uh, as, SM, where can people find you online? Well, you can find me on Facebook and follow my public posts there. But um, I also mentioned earlier my movie cramming project has a newsletter. And you can see all the past issues of it and uh, subscribe to get updates on my Substack newsletter blog, which is smrosenberg.substack.com. I literally looked this up while we were talking so that I could remember what the URL was. Um, And there are so far 13 batches of five. And the latest batch includes reviews of The Breakfast Club, um, a James Bond movie, which, oh, I did not like that either, (laughs) Um, and uh, Coyote Ugly, which I did very much like. Um, So there's a whole ton of movies on there. I think I've I've gone through 67 of them on the official uh, blog, and as I said, there will be many, many more coming. Fantastic. And I am on Twitter at Ink Ezrain. You can find some of my writing at hypable.com. So if you'd like to find the Nice Jewish Fangirls online, you can email us at nicejewishfangirls at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Jewish Fangirls. We are on Facebook Jewish at Nice Jewish Fangirls. Uh, of course, if you would also like to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, that would be awesome. We would super appreciate that. And uh, if you would like to reach out to our wonderful, amazing editor, Jamie Bloomberg, you can find more information at their website, jamberg.me. And uh, yeah, so that's going to that's gonna wrap us up for our return episode of Nice Jewish Fangirls. We hope you are all staying well and distracted. <laughs> and uh, yeah, live long and prosper, everybody. <laughs>